from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Wednesday edition, President Joe Biden says the West would impose, quote, strong economic and other measures on Russia if President Vladimir Putin invades Ukraine. That was a takeaway from yesterday's summit between the two leaders. The video came, uh, the video call came as Russia masses tens of thousands of troops on the Ukraine border. Does the threat by President Biden carry any weight with the Kremlin? We'll talk with retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. And continuing on the foreign policy front, a broad coalition of religious freedom advocates led by the Family Research Council have come together to ask President Biden to reverse the State Department's decision to remove the Nigerian government from the list of religious freedom abusers. We'll talk with Leela Gilbert of the Family Research Council a little bit later here on this edition of Washington Watch. Also, the Senate Republicans are in the uh, in the Senate are poised to move forward with a resolution that would uh, rebuke the president for his measure forcing a mandate on private employers. We'll talk with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley about that. Also in Capitol Hill, the National Defense Authorization Act, which funds the military, passed last night out of the House. One of the members that worked hard to remove various provisions designed to advance the left social engineering agenda over uh, the, the national defense was Texas Congressman Chip Roy. He joins us later from Capitol Hill. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And uh, by the way, through December the 10th, we're having a stand mug giveaway. Just text the word mug to 67742 and tell us what you stand for and why for your chance to win a mug made in the USA, 15 ounces of pure U.S. ceramic. Text your word stand or mug to 67743 to get your stand mug. Each day of the contest, we'll announce the stand mug giveaway winner live right here on Washington Watch. In fact, today's stand mug winner is Shane from Arkansas. Shane shared this. He said, quote, I stand for love because I have been an angry and hateful person most of my life. The Lord is changing my heart with his love. God bless you guys, end quote. Well, God bless you too, Shane. And congratulations on your stand mug. Again, for your chance to win your stand mug, text the word mug to 67742. Follow the links over to enter. Message and send rates vary. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to cancel. Help for help. Visit frc.org. RG slash text for terms and conditions and our privacy policy. I'm required to say all that. All right. President Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin squared off in a secure video call yesterday for more than two hours. And at the forefront of the talks was Ukraine, which Russia appears poised to invade soon as next year. U.S. intelligence officials reportedly have determined that Russia has amassed 70,000 troops near the Ukraine border and has made preparations for a possible invasion early next year. That could involve up to 175,000 troops. During yesterday's call, President Biden reportedly told Putin that the United States and our European allies would respond to such an invasion with strong economic measures. The provisions of the uh, provision of additional defense material to the Ukrainians and the fortification of NATO allies on the eastern flank. Now, given what happened in Afghanistan earlier this year and what happened in Crimea in 2014, 
Are there any indications that the Biden administration has learned its lessons? Or might we see a repeat of history? With me now to talk about this is FRC's executive vice president, retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, who was one of the original members of the U.S. Army's Delta Force. He uh, has spent the last four, day, last four years of his 36-and-a-half-year military career serving as the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. General, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. Glad to be with you. So uh, does the threats of sanctions by the U.S. carry any weight with uh, Russia? Well, I think it's like everything. The question is, uh, is the source of that threat uh, credible? And I would say to you that uh, that is very questionable in terms of whether the uh, president is credible in making a, uh, a, a threat or a declaration like that. And if you think back, it was only about a year ago that uh, former Secretary of Defense Bob Gates said that Joe Biden had been wrong on all major national security and foreign policy issues in the last 40 years. Now, don't think that the Russians aren't watching that. Don't think that the Russians aren't studying us, because they are. They put a great deal of resources and effort into studying us and knowing us and, and knowing our leadership in this country. And when you've got a former Secretary of Defense that makes a statement like that, uh, I, I think it uh, does not bode well for the credibility of that threat. Uh, General Boykin, you've studied that region of the world uh, quite thoroughly. Do you think there is uh, a legitimate threat here that Russia would invade Ukraine? Absolutely. And I'll tell you why. They don't just have troops. They don't just have infantry and armor up there in that staging area. They have artillery. They have air defense. And they have the enablers or the support mechanisms to sustain a battle. So, yes, I think that Putin is very serious here, and uh, I think that this is a very tense situation. Now, what, what we have to do is we have to provide the lethal material to the Ukrainians and make this a bloody battle. And I, I want to say that again. We've got to make this a bloody battle. Because the reason the Russians came out of Afghanistan was because after several years of sending young men home in body bags with no explanation as to why they were dying, the people in Russia really rose up against uh, their own leadership, which was unusual for Russia, as you know. And the same thing has to happen this time. If they invade, it's got to be a bloody battle, and there's got to be a there got to be a lot of uh, a lot of Russians killed and sent home in body bags because that will get the attention of the people of Russia, and they will not tolerate it. Now, the counter-demand made by Vladimir Putin was what he calls the encroachment of NATO yeah. uh, into Ukraine. Russia has a population problem, uh, not too many people, too few people to occupy the territory they have. And so we, we've seen this with, uh, with Putin trying to create buffers around the Russian homeland. Uh, how significant of an issue is that in this issue with Ukraine? Oh, it's very significant. And look, the Russian birth rate is about 1.3 to 1.6. You can't sustain your society. In fact, if you read Mark Stein's book, America Alone, he says that by the middle of this century, 2050, that uh, Russia will be down to about 83 to 85 million people because of their birth rates. 
and 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 Putin knows that very well. They can't secure. So does that, nine, make, does that make him desperate to move? It makes him desperate. They are a nine. If you think about the size of the country, think of Russia. It's nine time zones across. Right. Depending on how it's, you it's, count. it's vast. It's, it's huge. It's huge. You can't secure the borders of a nation like that unless you have buffer states. That's why they went into Georgia. That's why they went into Central Asia, and that's why they gave us such warnings about stay out of Central Asia, stay out of those parts of the uh, of that part of the world. And uh, yes, this is very serious for for the Russians. So, General Boykin, one of the issues on the table yesterday in discussion uh, was something that was controversial previously with conservatives: the approval of the the Nord Stream two pipeline, gas pipeline to Europe. You know, the the Biden administration giving the go-ahead on that a few months back, now saying, well, if you move forward in Ukraine, uh, you know, we're going to work to cut that off with our allies. Yeah, just just think about this. One of the first things that the president did was he he uh, rolled back our pipeline. He, right. he stopped production on our pipeline, killed a, a lot of jobs, and then turned around and and lifted the sanctions on the Nord Stream pipeline and allowed the Russians. What do you think that said to the Russians? I mean, does that make sense? Does it make sense to anybody? I mean, I don't know how it could make sense to anybody that is objective about this issue. So that goes, I mean, that contributes to the credibility or lack of credibility of our president and his resolve to actually stop the Russians from moving into uh, that part of the world in, in, in a big way. And I, I think that his credibility is hurt by this whole issue with Nord Stream. So, uh, General Boykin, let's say that we see an invasion of Ukraine in the next year. What is at stake for the United States if it does or if it does not respond? Well, if the United States does not respond, if there was an invasion and the United States does not respond, and I'm not talking about boots on the ground, I'm not talk, but, but I think we should put more NATO forces, more U.S. forces with NATO into places like Poland uh, as a buffer. But if we don't respond, do you think that China might be watching this? Do you think that China might think, well, now is the time for us to go into Taiwan? Because that is, as far as they are concerned, that is their number one objective is to take Taiwan. And if, they, if we let them go in unopposed, they will take Taiwan. So at this point, we see this as a series of dominoes that fall. I do. Yes. This would make the this would have a tremendous destabilizing effect upon the, 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 the entire global landscape. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when you've got two superpowers uh, that are locked in, in, in any kind of conflict, uh, it, it is not a good thing. And it, it, it impacts the entire global economy and it impacts the other nations. How would this be different from Afghanistan in the 1980s? Well, in the 1980s, when Russia was in Afghanistan, the United States was actually in there running covert operations. Activities against them. I, I spent a couple of years at CIA, so I yeah, don't tell us too very much. Very familiar right. with the activities that we ran in there. But we, you know, we armed the mujahideen as well. Right, which and, we're now yeah 
dealing with. Now we're dealing with the Mujahideen with an, a fresh batch of $83 billion worth of weapons and materiel, which is another thing that destroys the credibility of our president when he goes into talks with somebody that is seasoned and as determined as uh, Vladimir Putin is. Do you think, General Boykin, that this administration has the will and to, to respond? I think that they have the resolve to do what he said he would do with regards to the sanctions. And, and, but but will our, will our, you know, he talks about those sanctions require international. They're not going to stop him. They're going to stop Putin. But in order to be effective, not only will you have to have the sanctions, but you'll have to have international cooperation. And at right. this point, given what happened just recently in Afghanistan, will the rest of the world follow, uh, the rest of the West follow the United States? Well, the other NATO nations follow since we, right. we, we pulled out of there and left them sort of high and dry, if you will, and they had to scramble to get their own people out of there. Uh, the question is a good question, and I think that that's one of the long-term uh, setbacks for American foreign policy is the fact that uh, they don't trust us, and they don't trust our president or this administration, and, uh, and that's a bad thing at a time like this especially. But look, we need their cooperation, yeah. just as you said. Well, but we have to provide leadership to get it. We do. General Jerry Boykin, as always, great to uh, have you on the program. Thanks for your insight. All right, folks, don't go away. Coming back with more Washington Watch, FRC and other religious advocates are pressing the president to redesignate Nigeria as a country of particular concern. Uh, we uh, will talk more about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. More Washington Watch to come. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, 
interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Check it out. Lots of resources there for you. Well, yesterday, Family Research Council, together with uh, 46 religious liberty advocates from across various faiths and across the world, actually, sent a letter to President Biden calling on him to redesignate Nigeria as a country of particular concern or what's known as a CPC You know, as we've talked about on this program previously, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken uh, had removed Nigeria last month from the list of CPCs, which includes countries whose governments have engaged in or tolerated particular severe violations of religious freedom. And he did so, quite frankly, without public explanation. In fact, it's unprecedented that we would see a country Uh, that has been engaged in such behavior be removed from this list. So we're now pressing on the Biden administration to right this wrong, especially given that the ongoing violence, killing, and displacement against Christians and others in Nigeria has only increased. Uh, Joining me now to talk about this is Leela Gilbert, Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom here at the Family Research Council. Leela, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So uh, this was a a wide array of groups that have come together to speak into this administration about Nigeria. Let's start first with the situation in Nigeria. Right. Well, the situation has been terrible since around 2004, since I started looking at it. And I think you mentioned 2006 or 7 when you started looking at it. It has gotten progressively worse People are slaughtered in massacres. Christians, I think they're they're assuming, calculating that between 50 and 70,000 Christians have been slaughtered in the last decade. And this is done by radical Islamists and by what they're calling bandits, which also happen to be affiliated with radical groups. So we have this problem where we've continued to write about this. We've continued to ask for Uh, some sort of response from our government. And finally, Pompeo, Secretary Pompeo, former Secretary of State, was able to create a country of particular concern designation last year, about a year ago. And it didn't even make it to a year before the Biden administration moved it aside with no explanation. In, In full disclosure, as a member of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, uh, this is a, a country that I, in particular, have been focused on adopting 
uh, Leah Sherabu, who was a young 15-year-old uh, Nigerian girl who was kidnapped. Uh, that's been almost five years ago. She is still being held by Boko Haram. The uh, th- this is unprecedented. The USERF Commission has been recommending since 2008 that Nigeria be recognized as a country of particular concern. It was, as you mentioned, it was the Trump administration in 2020 under Secretary Pompeo that that recognition was uh, was finally made. So it's unprecedented that you would have a country that is being focused on as an abuser, systematically abusing uh, individuals based upon their religious conviction or status to be completely removed from a list, not put onto a second-tier list, which is called the the special watch list, but completely removed. That's never happened before. Let me ask you this question. Over the last 12 months since the designation, or I guess it's really 10 months since the last designation, has there been any improvement in the conditions in Nigeria? I think it's gotten nothing but worse, and it's even gotten worse since the designation was removed. There have been several incidents of entire one entire church was kidnapped since then. There have been 20, 10, 20 people killed in massacres since then. Uh, it's only getting worse all the time, and there's never been any explanation why our country has been so unwilling to speak up about it. Yeah, the, 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 this is a concern beyond, I mean, the religious liberty issue is a major concern. The persecution and slaughter of Christians is a concern, but beyond that, the State Department should be concerned about this because Nigeria is the most populous African country. And if and we have a population that's almost evenly split between Muslim and Christian. And this, as you said, ongoing, which is now with this herder farmer, you have the the, the farmers who are primarily Christian, you have the herders who are primarily Muslim, who are now making farmers fearful to go into the fields. Right. This is what famines are made of. That's right. And it's being excused as having to do with climate change rather than realizing that these are Fulani radicals. They're a tribal group that has been radicalized. The president of the country is a Fulani radical. His entire uh, court, if you will, is part of that movement. So we have compromise there. Boko Haram is a radical group that's affiliated now with ISIS. So on both sides, we have this radicalization and no addressing of it and excusing it, even at the State Department, as being about climate change and uh, resources. And it's clearly, you don't slaughter people and and cry out Alu Akbar when you kill them because of climate change, at least in my estimation. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's a complicated situation, but clearly, clearly, religion and the conflict there is playing into this, and you have a government that is refusing to prosecute, uh, to protect, and they are complicit in the slaughter that is taking place. And I, it, it's unconscionable for this administration to remove them completely from the list of countries that we're watching because of this religious persecution. You have to ask yourself why. You really do. There was a jailbreak uh, within the last week that was an, a jail that was surrounded by police departments and federal offices. And it was 
almost entirely unresisted, and over 200 of these radicals were released, and now they're who knows where. And there's also evidence that has surfaced that uh, these groups, especially the Boko Haram, well-armed, well-equipped, actually being funded uh, with material, provided material from uh, other countries. Some reports suggest even Turkey is providing some materials uh, there to Boko Haram and the radical Islamists. Yes. Leela Gilbert, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, appreciate your efforts on behalf of religious freedom. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, don't go away. Coming back with more Washington Watch. We're going to be joined by uh, Congressman Chip Roy from Capitol Hill. The National Defense Authorization Act, as we talked about yesterday, finally there was a compromise that moved the measure forward. What was the compromise over? Fi- the conservatives held the line making sure that women were removed from the bill in terms of being forced to register for the draft. And uh, my next guest was a key component of getting that accomplished. Don't go away. Coming back with more Washington Watch right after this. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. As we we talked about yesterday uh, on the program, the National Defense Authorization Act, which is a uh, a major piece of legislation that passes every year, it is the measure that funds the troops. However, oftentimes, especially what we've seen lately, is that it is laden down with social experimentation of the left, their agenda, which eclipses what the bill is all about, national defense. 
And one of the measures that was in the bill, that was finally removed because of uh, strong opposition from conservatives, resolute opposition, I should say, uh, was forcing women to register for the draft through the Selective Service. Now, we talked about we're all about women serving, not a problem. Uh, my daughters wanted to serve. I would encourage them to do that. That's not the issue. The issue is the left was using this, as they have with so many other aspects of the military, uh, to blur the lines of gender. Well, uh, one of the most vocal members uh, of Congress that held the line on this in other elements of the National Defense Authorization Act is Texas Congressman Chip Roy, who is also a member of the House Freedom Caucus, and he joins us today from Capitol Hill. Congressman Chip Roy, welcome back to the program. Happy to be on, Tony. I apologize for not being there in person. Obviously, as you know, uh, you know Congress well. I'm in one of those phone booths in the cloakroom because we're about to embark on 30 votes tonight. So we've got a vote series I can't get out of. I completely understand. I, I tell people all the time, like they say with live programming, never do live programming with children, animals, or politicians. So, right. uh, uh, But we appreciate your leadership uh, on the National Defense Authorization Act because you were successful in removing. I mean, it's not, it's, uh, you voted against the measure because there's still problems in it. But you, uh, because of your leadership, you were able to get a lot of the most egregious measures removed from that bill. Tell us about it. Well, Tony, I, I appreciate you uh, saying that about me, but let me just be clear. We wouldn't have been able to do that without the strong support of conservative grassroots across the country. Uh, Family Research Council, notably and in particular, your willingness to score it, that cannot be uh, you know, overstated, the extent to which that was helpful. Uh, I would give a shout-out to Concerned Women for America and others that uh, got involved with this fight. But at the end of the day, you can't win a fight if you don't pick it. And that's the thing that I want everyone to understand is the message. As we head into the remaining of this year, of the one more year of this Congress, we have elections next November, and we look forward to 2023. We got to remember that if you don't pick the fight, you can't win it. And this is one that everybody just gave up on. They said, well, the forces of political correctness are going to win. We can't win this. Too many Republicans already supported it. But we, we laid into this fight. We wrote op-eds. We went to the floor. We spoke. We did social media. Family Research Council echoed that. And you did a lot of great work. National Review did some good stuff. Uh, a lot of my Freedom Caucus colleagues got the fight. And at the end of the day, lo and behold, we were able to win this fight. Now, we got to keep fighting. But we were able to win this time and prevent our daughters from being drafted, along with also standing up against vax mandates, standing up against an office of extremism, which would be used for nefarious purposes, and to try to push back on some of the worst parts of gender identity stuff and other provisions. We weren't completely successful, which, as you know, is why I voted no in the end, because there were provisions in there I still couldn't support. But it's a vastly improved bill because of our work. Well, Congressman, I, I want to underscore something you just said a moment ago, and that is th that w we can't win if we don't fight. And the fact that uh, that you took a stand, and, and I, I want to uh, underscore this, that the National Defense Authorization Act is almost like this sacrosanct piece of legislation. You, you have to support it. In fact, you took grief from your Republican colleagues for opposing it, even in the early stages when all of the bad stuff was in it. But you went further. I, I, you challenged the leadership of the Republican Party in the Congress that if they supported this, you could not support them for leadership positions, given how bad the measure was before it was cleaned up. Look, it, it's important to lay down markers when the, the key things are at stake. As I said today in an interview about this, if we can't fight on these issues, Tony, if we can't fight 
to stop our daughters from being drafted. If we can't stop and fight to make sure that we know there's just differences between men and women, if we can't def defend life, protect life, um, then what are we fighting for? I mean, we can get in here and argue about tax rates and corporate tax rates, and we can argue about all our there's important things, but what are we fighting for? You got to pick a fight in order to win it. And uh, we were able to do that. And yeah, I laid into leadership and said, and I meant it. If someone's going to draft my daughter, forcibly conscript, conscript my daughter, I can't support that person for a leader uh, in this body, in the party, or for president. And so it's important to say these things. It's not personal, um, it, it, but it is very uh, important for the country that we draw some lines in the sand and then we stand up and fight for them. Yeah. And you know what? We don't, it doesn't happen every time, but when we're willing to go to the mat for these, I, I think, core principles, and, and it, this, these are core principles that are worth fighting for. Now, I'm not for, I'm not for rolling up your s sleeves and going out back every time something uh, doesn't go the way you want it to, but there are some things that are worth fighting for, and when you do that, oftentimes you prevail. In this process, you don't rarely do you get everything you want. But you certainly can make things better, and I commend you for being willing to do that. Well, Tony, let me just say right back at you, I commend you all for being willing to get in this fight, willing to score these votes. It was important. It moved some people. And those first 80 votes, I think 79 whatever votes that we had against the first bill helped set the stage for this one and gave us leverage. And that's what I keep telling people. You, you fight to get leverage in this town. Right. And if you stand up and fight, the people follow and, and we'll get some good things. We've got a lot of work to do uh, to move forward, but we need to stand up for the people. They sent us here to challenge the swamp, not immerse ourselves in it. You're absolutely right. Congressman Chip Roy, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for stepping off the floor to talk with us. Hey, my honor. God bless you. Merry Christmas to everybody and your listeners. All right. Merry Christmas to you as well. And, folks, I want to thank you. As I mentioned yesterday, many of you, we sent over uh, 200,000 pieces of correspondence, emails, calls uh, to Capitol Hill on this, and uh, it was heard. All right, when we come back, we're going to go to the other side of the Capitol. We're going to hear from Senator Chuck Grassley, the ranking member on the Senate Judiciary Committee. That Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, 
and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go that's right. Everywhere you go, it's starting to look a little bit like Christmas. I like that. All right, a disapproval resolution in the Senate against President Biden's shot or test mandate for business is expected to pass uh, as soon as tonight. Two Democrat senators, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and John Tester of Montana, have already expressed their support for the formal challenge to President Biden's mandate, which was filed by all 50 Senate Republicans last month. With the Biden administration getting blocked now at every turn in the courts, we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel uh, on this mandate. Uh, earlier today, the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell had this to say about the president's mandates. The United States of America is a free country. The federal government, elites in Washington, cannot micromanage citizens' personal choices without a legitimate basis in law and the Constitution. And that goes double for presidents going far beyond the bounds of their office and their authority. President Biden's absurd private sector vaccine mandate is blatant overreach. Joining me now to talk about this blatant overreach and more is Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa. He is the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you, Tony, anytime you want me. So give us the status on the vote on the Congressional Review Act, which would disapprove the president's mandate on private businesses. Are we going to see a vote on that tonight? 645. I think it'll pass, as you indicated. Uh, I think that uh, it backs up what I've said when the president first said he was going to issue this mandate to private business to... uh, Uh, mandate any company that has 100 or more employees to do it. I thought it was unconstitutional at that time. I said if he asked Congress to pass legislation to make it, uh, he could do it. Uh, That probably would be unconstitutional, too, but I would vote against that anyway. So today I have a chance to express my view on a regulation that probably has been already declared unconstitutional by several courts, but it gives Congress a chance to express our view that we disagree with the president 
and it's called the Congressional Review Act. So a regulation can come up and not a 60 vote requirement, but just a 51 vote requirement. We can overturn that. Now it has to go to the House. They may not overturn it, but I welcome an opportunity to show the people of Iowa that I don't think the federal government should be violating personal freedom and uh, telling people what to do. I happen to think vaccine uh, is a good thing. I would advise people to get it, but I'm not going to have the government force people to do it. They ought to make that choice their own. And they shouldn't listen to politicians. They ought to listen to their doctor what's right for them. Yeah, I don't want the government sticking it to me. They stick it to us enough. Uh, the the media kind of dismissive somewhat of this vote that's taking place, because as you pointed out, they're saying it's kind of a symbolic a victory for Republicans because it has to go over to the House and probably will not see the light of day in the House. I would argue it's more than symbolic. I think, as you said, it gives you the opportunity to express the intent and will of your constituents. But I think it also shows that you have a Republican Party that is willing to stand up against this administration and that overreach. Yeah, there's plenty of that like on the BBB Build Back Better bill or the Reconciliation bill, all 50 Republicans are going to vote against it because we don't think we should be spending another $4 trillion feeding the fires of inflation. Uh, but this is also something that deals even more with personal freedom than maybe even that bill does. And we ought to back uh, the principle. In other words, people have a choice. Uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and let individuals make decisions or have some government bureaucrat tell you what to do. That's that's a sharp difference of approach to, uh, to liberty. Right. And as you made reference to earlier, uh, we've had several courts in different parts of the country that have uh, pushed pause on the president's vaccine mandates, the latest coming yesterday out of Georgia, where a federal judge there said that the uh, federal contractor mandate uh, requirement for either the testing or the shots was uh, appeared to be an overreach. So the president's striking out in the courts. And I would this kind of brings us to where you are the ranking member on the Senate Judiciary Committee now, having been the chairman previously. This underscores the importance of the court and the accomplishments made under the Trump administration to put constitutionalists onto the courts. It was quite a privilege for me to be chair when Gorsuch and Kavanaugh went on and be a member of the committee when we put Farrad on just before the last election. We have a six to three majority uh, when uh, uh, Roberts decides to do something a little bit different than the majority. We still got a five to four majority. We're getting back to the point where the rule of law and the uh, strict construction of those laws, the strict uh, interpretation of the Constitution is paramount now in the uh, Supreme Court of the United States, and that's going to make the principle of limited government uh, more important than ever because, you know, uh, federal government can't do anything the Constitution doesn't allow it to do, but with this uh, living Constitution approach that a lot of liberals have, uh, you end up uh, with uh, the government doing almost anything they want to do if they got the Supreme Court backing it up. Right. And so that's why what we're doing today in the pursuit of freedom on this uh, congressional review vaccine thing is so important.
Yes, it is. Uh, and, and I quite frankly never thought we would have the courts as a backstop uh, for constitutional ideas, because as you said, the left has controlled the courts for so long that there's been uh, these judicial activists on the courts that have been pushing and carrying the water for the left. And, and that brings me to the next topic I want to ask you about, uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, is the Biden Supreme Court Commission releasing its uh, report yesterday uh, saying that um, really taking no position on the court packing issue. What do you make of the 288-page report of the president's commission on the courts? Well, first of all, the commission was to get Biden out of trouble. He knows himself. He made a mistake by, during the campaign, saying that he was going to set this commission up to study it or that he was going to, he had, uh, he had a lot of pressure from the left wing of his party, Bernie's wing of the party, uh, to do something on the court uh, to overcome uh, the trend that's developed since Trump was appointing three people. And uh, the commission was his answer to that. And uh, thank God they didn't go to the extreme of recommending that you pack the court. Uh, we've had nine on the Supreme Court since 1869. We've even had people like uh, Chief, uh, like Justice Ginsburg, before she passed away, said nine was the perfect number. Uh, and you'd, we've at least, if this was going to happen, the Constitution uh, would. Uh, would allow the Congress to do it, but with the uh, uh, a lot of Democrats, although they haven't said who they are, we just feel like there's a lot of Democrats that would never go along with packing the court. Maybe some of them spoken out. I don't remember those names, but we think we've got at least 50 in the United States Senate, Republicans and a few Democrats that never let this happen anyway. So, Senator Grassley, I would think that this commission's uh, report taking no position on court packing would be helpful uh, in pre preserving the nine members on the Supreme Court. Uh, absolutely. I don't think it's necessary. Uh, I don't think it could happen even if the commission didn't come the direction it did. But it sure helps our position of leaving the court at nine. And that's where it should be like I said, since 1869. Is that the last we've heard of this commission? Anything going to come of their report? Or as you said, is this, ju this is just to get the president out of a bind? There might be some aspects of its recommendation that will be put in bill form, but I don't give it much hope. And if the Republicans take over the Congress after the uh, midterm elections, it, it won't happen. Uh, Senator uh, Chuck Grassley, you led the Republican members on the Judiciary Committee as the ranking member in a letter uh, earlier this week. Following up, and, and I, I want to say this at the outset, I want to commend you for doing this because oftentimes what we see is we see, a, you know, we, we release statements or we say something and then we move on to the next issue. But uh, you and your colleagues have not let go of what Attorney General Merrick Garland did in his October 4th memo. Uh, going along with the National School Boards Association, essentially calling parents who go to school board meetings upset over the indoctrination that is happening with their children, they equated them to domestic terrorists. And you've been pressing the attorney general to back away from the language that was used. Now, he didn't use it, but the school boards 
used it, and he has not denounced it. Have you gotten a response from your letter? No, we haven't, and that's the second letter we've written on the subject, and we'll write a third or a fourth letter. It was brought up in his hearing, and he didn't back down any. But can you imagine the school board, not even the board of directors of the school board association, uh, and then, uh, uh, let's say, staff or stuff like that, even in conjunction with the White House, said that we ought to have the Justice Department and the FBI stepping in on some of the potential uh, arguments that are going on before school boards. And so then within five days, uh, he issues this memo. And then maybe a couple weeks later, uh, getting pressure from their state affiliates, the National School Board Association withdrew their letter. I think they even apologized for it. So since his actions of seeking the seeking the FBI on the school boards, uh, you would think that uh, that as long as the instigation of that was the National School Board Association and they backed off, wouldn't he back off? No, he's not going to back off. And uh, I don't think we'll we'll probably get an answer to our letter, but we're not going to let this thing lie because parent involvement in the education of their kids, freedom of parents is a very, very important thing. Besides, education is not the main function. It's a very minor function of the federal government. And we want all, we want local control of schools. We want state control of schools. We don't want the federal government. And for the FBI, but even worse is the National Security Division of the Justice Department. Uh, being involved in this, which uh, which almost makes it sound like it's a national security issue. Well, and then to make it look like uh, people that show up at school board meetings are potential terrorists. How idiotic can you be in this country of freedom? Right. And you make that point in your letter, because while the federal government, while the attorney general did not himself in his correspondence called these parents domestic terrorists. That was in the school board's letter and has been very clear about that. However, you pressed him to back away from that language and denounce it. And in your letter to him, this latest letter to him, you point out that the it's the FBI's counterterrorism division that's a part of this you know tracking of parents. So that in and of itself sends a message. Why? Would you have the counterterrorism division watching what parents do at school board meetings? To intimidate people, to uh, allow the authority of the state and the authority of the school board in that district not to be pressed on anything. And uh, maybe you don't have to arrest parents, but when they think the FBI is looking over their shoulder or the national security division is looking over their shoulder, Maybe they're afraid to show up at a town meeting and you're violating the free speech, the freedom of association, the right to petition your government for redress of grievances of what are all First Amendment rights. Uh, you are doing damage to the First Amendment. I mean, I could I can easily envision this in China, maybe Russia, but the United States of America. Is, is this how our government should function? Well, no, I think. Common sense tells you that, but you got to realize Washington, D.C. is an island surrounded by reality. The common sense outside of this town, particularly the Midwestern common sense, 
is what's lacking here in this town, and that's why they try to get away with it. Another thing you got to remember that in this town, whether it's the private sector or whether it's the government sector, it's all related to the government. So when everything is tied to the government, you think the government can do anything. And they have the economic power through taxation uh, to do it. And then they have the power of the bureaucracy to carry it out. And then we have the, the legislature over the last several decades delegating so much power to the bureaucracy. It it's, uh, gets us away from the principle of limited government. And we got to get back to that. Well, and I, I'm grateful, Senator uh, Chuck Grassley, that you're one of those that's bringing a little bit of that uh, Midwestern common sense to uh, to Washington, D.C. Appreciate your leadership on the Judiciary Committee, and we thank you for joining us today here on Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Glad to be with you. All right. Merry Christmas. Well, folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. And uh, be sure to check out the uh, website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. And again, I, I want to... Uh, I want to commend all of our listeners who respond to our action items. And we've seen some uh, successes. I'm going to talk about some more that we're working on that we've seen movement on because you have weighed in. You've contacted your members of Congress. You've contacted Republican Party officials. And your presence, your voice makes a difference. So thank you. Thank you for being a participant in our republic and not just a spectator. All right, until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.